Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2000 and, uh, 2024. I'm uh, Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and um, Chief Investment Officer for Cantor Managed ETF Portfolios. This is my weekly economic and uh, market commentary. As a reminder, you can follow me intra-week uh, on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan, or on X at ETF underscore strategist. As a reminder, the presentation you're seeing in our hearing is prepared by us, Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors, for use with investors who are, and brokers, advisors, who are each expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation is investment advice or should be treated as such. There is no recommendation for their purchase or sale of any security. We had uh, positive equity returns last week, especially in the large cap space. Tech really took off and rallied, and we're not into tech earnings season yet. The beginning of earnings season is usually the big financials. There are some exceptions, of course. We had Delta Airlines, a couple other big big companies. But really, the, the, the financials uh, always kick off the earnings season, and they were pretty good. They were okay. There's some controversy over um, capital returns right now as proposed by some Basel rules, but overall they were pretty good and uh, market participants really expect that the um, the tech earnings, which will be coming up in another week or so, will also be really, really good. So that was bid up. What's not expected to be all that great is international markets. Um, just, a, just a divergence. The U.S. economy is kind of chugging along. Employment is very strong. There's expectations of rate cuts, and that's just not the case uh, all the way around the rest of the globe. Because of that, in the U.S., there was some pushback on the expectations for rate hi- uh, cuts last week, where we were expecting rate cuts as early as March at about a 70 or 80 percent chance that that likelihood, as represented by the futures markets, Fed funds futures markets, dropped to about 50%. So the bond market sold off. The aggregate bond index down about 1%. 20-year treasuries down about 2.5%. Little, a uh, little lesson, right? We know that the, the interest rate moves are magnified at the longer maturities, right? There's the 20-plus year index down 2.5%. But the sub-five-year floating rate, floating rate's the key here. That makes it very short actually up 14 basis points. Conversely, if interest rates were coming down real hard, we would expect bigger outsized positive returns on the 20-year index. I think you get it. Okay, moving along, New York State and Philly Fed manufacturing. A huge miss in a very negative number from New York State manufacturing. Basically, manufacturing, as we've talked about, about 15% of the U.S. economy has been in a slump for the better part of, of a year. The New York State or Empire State manufacturing number dropped from minus 14.5 to minus 43.7 for the January reading. The estimate was minus 5. So that number is significantly low. It is recession low, right? There's a recession of 2020, the COVID-related shutdown, um, and it was a big surprise to the market. But if you read through the the report, which is what most folks did, which is why the market didn't really react all that negatively, is that the outlook improved to a three-month high, positive, 18.8. In other words, yes, it was bad, but we see things getting better. And we expect to make capital expenditures, more capital expenditures or investments in manufacturing. There was a decent reading, highest since April of um, of last year. And then the Philly Fed survey came out just a couple of days later, also measuring January uh, manufacturing, but just the Philadelphia region as opposed to the New York region. 
That was minus 12.8. It came in at minus 10.6. So it was a little better, worse than expected, and certainly negative, right? You can see the consistency of the negative numbers there. Inflation, or excuse me, employment got close to even. New orders were negative, but better. Shipments, negative, but better. Expectations, however, here turn negative. So two regions very close to each other, two different reports. That's why no report is the one. There is no great signal of when to buy, when to sell, all those things. You have to take it all together and sort of amalgamate it and make your own uh, investment decisions. But certainly, uh, I think that manufacturing obviously slowed, slowed considerably uh, and is a drag on the economy. It's one of the reasons GDP estimates for 2024 are just barely above 1% GDP growth in the United States. That's real GDP growth, obviously. Inflation numbers continue to improve. However, just a little pause in December for import prices. They were unchanged. The estimate was they were going to come down. Um, export price index did come down, and it came down more than expected. So yeah, mixed to positive, I would say, for inflation. The big one we're going to get is core PCE coming in later um, um, this week. Industrial production rose a tenth of a percent following uh, unch or no change in November. Manufacturing production rose a tenth of a percent, which was nice. Capacity utilization unchanged um, at 78.6, kind of right in line with that expectation. When you see capacity utilization, it's also a good indicator of inflation. And I would say that when that number gets above 80, your economy is really humming along and you know, capacity is being used up. And that's a sign of, of some inflationary pressure in the economy, above 80. Below 80, sign of disinflationary pressure in the economy. So that's helpful. That's helpful to the Federal Reserve, of course. They're, they're trying to focus on price stability at the moment. We had a surprise increase in housing market sentiment, but the, neg but the sentiment itself is still negative. So the line of delineation here is 50. Just drag my little cursor over here to 50. Um, when it's above 50, the nation's home builders are positive, have a positive sentiment about their business and their ability to generate profits and sell homes, etc. And as you know, that number's been below 50 here for one, two, three, four, five, six, six months. And then there's was a seventh month that's been significantly negative. But uh, the estimate was for 39. It came in at 44. That's getting closer to coming back to 50. We, why, I'm sure? Well, interest rates have come down a little bit. Traffic have picked up a little bit. Um, costs of production have come down a little bit. Things like labor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now that interest rates are kind of turning back the other way, that may just be part of this you know, weak cycle until such time as we really um, work through this and interest rates come down um, a little more significantly. Sticking on the residential real estate theme, housing starts uh, fell back 4.3% following a gain, big gain of 11% in November. Building permits up almost 2% after falling 2% um, the prior, prior month. Uh, existing home sales continue to be just horribly low. Uh, part of that is inventory. Part of that is interest rates. Um, you know, a lot of some, some really, you know, talented professional realtors last week, one told me she'd sold, you know, one home in 2023. That's how much the volume has gone. You go from six and a half million units back when interest rates were essentially zero to, you know, uh, we're just three and three quarters million. That's almost 
not quite getting cut in half, but you can you can see that's a big, 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 big decline. Sales down 19% from a year ago, worst year since 1995. But, okay, so I've given you some negative data. Then you flip it over and say, well, look at weekly jobless claims. 187,000. Now, there's some talk, well, there was weather and maybe people got laid off or lost their job, but they couldn't get out. They'll wait till the wait till the following week to go out and file when maybe the weather is not quite as uh, brutal, and that could be very, very, very true. We've had some really tough weather across the United States. Regardless, this number here, whether it's 250, 220, 230, 200, or 187, that is a sign of strength. Uh, and if people are not filing initial claims for unemployment, it means they're working. If they're working, it means they're spending. If they're spending, it means there are profits. If there are profits, that's usually good for stock prices. Uh, continuing claims remain very low um, as well. Then we got a massive positive surprise reading from the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment reading. Consumer sentiment jumped from 69.7 to 78.8. That's the biggest monthly gain in almost 20 years. Uh, well ahead of expectations. Current conditions surge. Why? There's been some pullback in the inflation data. Expectations rose. There's also a very significant net worth effect, right? We had a great year in capital markets. People looked at their 401k balances and said, hey, I feel good. Housing values have remained stable to higher, and I, that's a big part of the net worth. And net worth, in addition to employment, both have a positive, strong correlation um, to sentiment. So if net worth is going up and you feel secure in your job, your sentiment goes up and you feel better. And it could be a self-fulfilling um, you know, prophecy for the equity markets. We also got another strong report on retail sales. Retail sales up six-tenths, better than expected. Takeout autos and gas still up six-tenths six of a percent second consecutive month. So what is it? Is the glass half empty or the glass half full? I thought I'd put this chart up here because it's one of my favorites. When I look at the earnings estimates for the S&P 500, I like to look at them during earnings season, which is where we are now. And earnings season is pretty good. Things are coming in kind of strong. And earnings estimates, the 12-month forward estimate, this white line you see here, continues to go higher. So we get more companies reporting, and then the analysts update their estimates for the next 12 months. And so every day, this number can go higher or lower. It gives you a good idea. And so because we've had some earnings reports here, basically starting about here, it's going higher. So if you're an optimist, you know, your confirmation bias as an analyst, as a market strategist is, hey, I'm right. Things are going pretty good. But if you're a pessimist and you're looking around for a reason to be, you know, for confirmation bias as well, you might look at this two-year number. So the two-year number is actually getting drawn lower. So what's happening is analysts are saying, hey, we're really just pushing out our expectation for a recession, for earnings declines. Now, I zoomed in to get these numbers for you. You can see this is just a one, this is 22 days. And the delta of 242.59 to 241.80 is pretty small. So I wouldn't be ready, I wouldn't be panicking. You look at this, you think, wow, it's really going down. Well, it's not really going down. That's, that's a very small gap. I zoomed in and created that gap. Um, for us. Speaking of earnings season, here's where we are. We've had um, 
let's see, 52 names report. Average earnings surprise has been about 8%, uh, 7.9%. Not too much in the negative category. Two industrials, but that didn't bring the whole sector down. One in energy, uh, but only one name is reported, and it's uh, very small. And look at the financials. That's what we got mostly last week. You can see 20 positive, only three negative. Uh, we've got a ways to go in this earnings season. Too too early to make any firm conclusions. But the action in the market, the S&P 500, which is now a big cap tech index along with the NASDAQ, essentially, um, very positive last week and positive again this morning. And we haven't got into tech. You can see only six or seven out of 80 companies. And then uh, communication services, which was really um, you know, an offshoot of tech. It used to be just a couple of names. We moved a lot over there. We haven't had any uh, of those companies report. But let's uh, take a look at this. This is something very interesting came out of uh, Cantor Fitzgerald uh, this morning from Eric Johnston. And what he was pointing out is that we are at a very long expansion. This makes us late cycle, if you want to think of it that way. And this is the number of consecutive months with unemployment as measured by the U3 indicator under 4%. And what's interesting is, okay, great, late 60s, right? And then we had the recession of the early 70s. Um, you know, 1999, big expansion, and then we had a recession, right? And then you have 18, and you had the recession, the COVID-related recession. We didn't really have that going into the 08 recession. But what he's trying to say, and I think it makes sense, is we're late cycle. Right? We've had great run-ups, we've had expansion, we've had rate cuts, we've had all these different things. So even though stocks are performing well, um, as valuations go higher and as you know, Fed accommodation wanes, I know we're talking about accommodation coming back in March, but we'll have to wait and see. Another thing I thought was pretty interesting is this. So, you know, if you're listening to this, you're one of our financial advisors that work with us, or you're one of the investors that invest with us. And you're, we're fortunate, right? We're privileged. We're, it's exciting. It's great that we have this. But for a lot of folks, uh, they're more affected by a rise in gasoline prices. This chart shows um, serious delinquencies in auto loans. So, so auto loans that are delinquent for 90 days or more. And we're now at a level that is consistent with, it's actually above the last recession level. Because when you have gasoline go from two dollars to six dollars, we had we hit seven briefly in San Diego where I live. Um, when you have um, autos loans very expensive, and you've got a choice, you know, I've got to put food and eggs and meat and milk and everything has gone up in price and gasoline. So what do you do? You don't make your car payment. So even though the economy is expanding, what it really tells us is that the Fed's policies and their tools that they have of using the short-term interest rate, which, and of course, flooding the market with liquidity, which created the inflation, that served to inflate asset prices. So people like us, people who have investments in 401ks and own real estate, we really benefited from a lot of those policies. But the folks who maybe haven't got there yet or would like to get there, but they're still struggling, maybe younger folks or just people with more financial challenges, those run-up in asset prices didn't mean much, but the run-up in consumer prices really has got to them. And that's something that the Fed is now aware of. It's one of the reasons they're not going to hike rates anymore, but instead are now looking towards when they begin to cut rates. Because they've done some real 
real damage to the, essentially to the working class with the with the tools that they have. The other thing I wanted to uh, point out to you is just this this chart of um, of uh, the fiscal deficit um, in the United States, and so whether it's monetary policy that you want to talk about or in this case fiscal policy and the you know the theories of John Maynard Keynes that really permeate economic policy throughout the western world now and have you know since you know I'm getting close to 90 years now the theory is basically you run a you run a fiscal deficit during a war or recession in order to, to stimulate your economy to get it out of that and you can see there's world war 2 you can see here's the 08 financial crisis. But what happened in the COVID shutdowns is that we ran fiscal deficits far in excess of what were necessary. We all got checks and we had to borrow the money to do that. It wasn't like the, the U.S. Treasury had the money sitting around. The U.S. Treasury um, took advantage of 0% or near negative or negative real interest rates, borrowed money and stimulated the economy by giving everybody checks. They did that while shutting down the means of production, which in turn, of course, created inflation. But the, the, the scope and size of those deficit finance fiscal stimulus, coupled with the monetary stimulus of the time, created the inflation. So critics of that strategy would say that's, that was too much. You took too much risk because if we find ourselves in war or a demand-based recession, this is the only supply-side recession we've ever had in this country, then we won't maybe have that ability to borrow to stimulate like we would if we were more prudent. And the deficits, even in times of now strength, we don't have a recession going on. We don't have an unemployment that we're trying to fix through deficit spending. We're not at war. But as far as the eye can see, we are now budgeting and estimating fiscal deficits in excess of 5%. This is very risky in my view and potentially proposes a threat. Okay, so how are we positioned? Uh, we think that that last move down in inflation, we've appreciated the disinflation as the Fed has uh, tightened by letting their balance sheet run off, tightened by raising short-term interest rates aggressively, and but we haven't got to their 2% core PCE inflation target. And I think it's going to continue to be a challenge. But the Fed can stay tight can leave that interest rate high, continue to let the balance sheet run off because they have cover from the very strong, still, jobs market. But you saw that manufacturing data I gave you at the beginning. If that continues to roll over and we start to get jobs losses, then the Fed will be in a bit of a conundrum. But until weekly jobless claims start to rise and job gains that we get on a monthly basis from the ADP and the Bureau of Labor Statistics report, until those turn negative, the Fed can stay at this higher rate and continue to let their balance sheet run off. If job losses then suddenly begin to mount, but inflation has not come down, then the Fed could be in a very difficult situation. And that's when I think we have a, a bigger a downward move in equity prices. For now, the market is saying that the Fed's going to get through this. Inflation is going to continue to move towards the 2%. I am concerned, however, with your current GDP estimates for this year, you know, sub 2%, uh, and a massive that, and that's only because of fiscal deficit. If you take away the fiscal deficit, we won't have positive GDP growth this year. That is concerning to me. So we're at target for equity weightings. Um, we've sought some value in places like China. We like large cap. 
Um, but that's just where we are in the cycle, and, and that's just okay. No major data this week, Monday or Tuesday. We're just well into earnings season. We've got the final full country PMIs for both manufacturing and services from S&P Global on Wednesday. You can see manufacturing is going to be negative, below 50. Services carrying the day at 51. Services a much bigger part of the economy. Weekly claims expected at 200,000. Fourth quarter annualized GDP is expected to be at 2%, not 4.9 that we got in the third quarter. Durable goods, new home sales, Personal income, personal spending, PCE price index. This is the big one. Now, this is the one that the Fed uses to measure whether or not they're meeting their mandates on inflation. And this is critical. Expected to be up two-tenths of a percent month over month. Not so good. The prior month was down one-tenth of a percent. If that surprises and is even higher or worse, then I think that's that the market will not like that at all. Pending home sales, of course, um, for December as well. Don't forget this is available on any of your podcast formats, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, etc. We're there. Hope you enjoy it. Um, thanks. Any comments or questions, just give us a call anytime. Talk to you again next week.